I want to open the service in prayer, and um, I hope you'll join me in meeting at the throne together for just a few minutes as we ask the Lord to, to uh, do something unique and unusual here in the service. Uh, maybe a service like you've never attended before, but uh, that'll be fun. So let's pray, shall we, Father? We thank you so much for this Christmas season. We thank you, Lord, for the birth of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that the Magi worshipped you, the shepherds worshipped you, and we join them today and all the hosts of heaven in the anthems of praise that they give to worship you. Lord, uh, we invite the Holy Spirit to be in the sanctuary with us today. We welcome you, Lord, to uh, speak to our hearts, move us in an unusual way. Lord, we pray today for those that are homeless, those that are hungry, those that are needy, those that are broken, those that are lost, those that are confused. Most of us have family, Lord, and we enjoy the holidays, but there are those that do not. And so today, especially, we ask you that all of these might find a place of refuge near to the heart of God. We lift you today and worship you with all of our hearts, and we thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Thank you. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to flip on you the order of the service, and instead of having worship at the beginning, we're going to do it closer to the end. And so that's why you don't see Ali up here with her guitar, and uh, I want to just uh, say that this is a glory, even though the sun's not shining, it's a glorious day to be together praising the Lord and uh, breaking the bread of life, isn't it? And even though the Seahawks are playing at 10 o'clock, we know that that's got a few people's attention captured, but, um, but we're here to be with the Lord and we'll find out the results of the game after this. Uh, I wonder, Andrew, if I could get a pulpit to put my thing on. Uh, you might be noticed might notice that I'm wearing a tie today. I have to comment on that. Um, I haven't worn a tie, I don't think, in, I don't know, over a year maybe. If there's a memorial service, uh, I will wear a tie usually, uh, just in honor to the person that's passed and been promoted to heaven. But it's a Christmas tie, and I've got these two boxes full of about 40 or 50 ties, and I don't know what to do with them. So if you have some kind of a craft idea or something that ought to be done with ties, let me know. But this is a Christmas tie, and I wore it for my grandchildren today. I showed them before I came here to church, uh, you know, the snowman and the wreath and the, you know, all the candy canes and everything else that's on the tie under the sweater. So uh, um, thank you for doing that. I appreciate it, Andrew. Marshall. Marshall. Okay. I didn't look behind me. I do have a text for you this morning, but we're not going to read it for just a few minutes. Uh, for those of you that uh, call Celebration Center home, you know that we're waiting for our new pastors, uh, Dustin and Stephanie, to arrive from Martinez, California. And um, I was asked by Pastor Chris, who's the former founding pastor of Celebration Center and also the board of directors here at the church, if I would serve as a transitional pastor, an interim pastor, which... I have been doing now for the months of October, November, and December, and I just couldn't start the message without first saying some thank yous. So if you'll permit me to do that, I would just like to say thank you, first of all, to Pastor Chris and the Board of Directors for trusting me to uh, preach and teach here at the church. 
I consider preaching the eternal truths of the gospel a sacred trust. I don't take it lightly. I don't take it for granted. And um, it's really an honor to be trusted to fill somebody's pulpit. You're pouring into the lives of people and affecting them for all eternity. And uh, so it's something to really be um, very, very serious about. And so I don't take that for granted at all. I also want to thank my daughter-in-law and my son, uh, Allie and Andrew Farmer, for carrying the burden of worship and teaching us to worship in new ways while we haven't been able to sing as a congregation. Uh, thank you for your spiritual leadership in that area. I really do appreciate it. And um, there are some people that work behind the scenes here that are just like a well-oiled machine. There was an, actually an example of it this morning. You might see that there's paper and pencil underneath your chair. And it's something that I forgot to do. And I walked out in the sanctuary with a handful of paper and it was already there. And that's because of a young lady by the name of Jamie Bowers that has got this administrative gift. This, uh, hi Jamie, she's back in the corner of the church. She just, she's a step ahead of you all the time. And she orders everything, she organizes everything, and uh, I, it's, I'm so blessed by it. I just am so grateful for Jamie and what she does. So thank you for that. And her husband, Donald, he was uh, our CC Spotlight last week. And uh, Donald, thank you again for everything you do. Uh, you bring excellence to the church. And one last thing, I wanted to thank Lindsay and her team of 15 or however many were here that decorated the church. Um, there are those of us that come and worship here in person, and the church is decorated all over, so thank you so much for doing that. I really do appreciate it. Um, okay, when I began on October the 4th, I did not have a series in mind at all. Uh, I just felt like the Lord was saying, yes, accept this open door, this opportunity. Uh, and though I did not have a series or a theme or a specific message in mind, I was committed to being very intentional about something. I wanted you to have a revelation of the gospel of the kingdom. Now, listen very carefully. I did not say that I wanted you to have a revelation of the gospel. Uh, there are about 350 to 375,000 churches in the United States of America. Of that number, about 175,000 of them are evangelical or Pentecostal, where they preach the good news of Jesus Christ, and the thing that we're celebrating here at Christmas time. But there is a difference between the gospel, the good news, and what is referred to in Scripture as the gospel of the kingdom. If you're any good at English at all, then you know that of the kingdom is a prepositional phrase that serves as a modifier to the word gospel. It's not just the gospel, it's the gospel of the kingdom. And it's different than just the good news of Jesus, which is a wonderful thing, of course, and which you could be listening to in probably 175,000 plus churches today, because the good news is the good news. But the gospel of the kingdom is a gospel that is violent and it's forceful, and forceful men lay hold of it, the Bible says in Matthew 11. The gospel is not a matter of talk or words, but it's a matter of power. The gospel of the kingdom is a matter of power. The gospel of the kingdom looks to the Holy Spirit for baptism, infilling, empowering, and the gifts of the Spirit. The gospel of the kingdom recognizes miracles as normative and expects the supernatural to happen. 
The gospel of the kingdom demonstrates acts of healing, deliverance, anticipates transformation. And the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel that changes the atmosphere around you and the people around you. You know why? Because they expect you to be hosting the presence of God. That's the gospel of the kingdom. You host the presence of God. And where you go, it impacts the people around you and the circumstances around you. Now today, after I share for a bit, we're going to participate together in what I call a lab experiment or experience. During my freshman year at Wichita State University, um, I took a course in chemistry. Uh, I'm not a student. I love science, but chemistry wasn't really my thing. I found it rather difficult, as a matter of fact. But nevertheless, it was a five-hour course, which meant at that time that I had to be in five hours of chemistry during the course of a week. And so on Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday, the professor would lecture, and all the students would go show up in this sort of like amphitheater room. He was down there. He would lecture, and we would take notes, and we knew we were going to be tested on that. But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we didn't show up at that room. We showed up at the lab. And at the lab, we did experiments that were specifically designed to reinforce and teach what we learned during the lectures. Did I say anything that makes sense to you about education? You might have noticed Pastor Chris. One of the things I noticed about Pastor Chris, the founding pastor of the church here, was that he frequently will use illustrations and examples. You know, he'll show up on the platform and he may have a balloon or he may have a hula hoop or he may have water and, you know, just different things in his, in his bag that he comes up here with. Um, said another way, it's one thing to hear the gospel. It's another thing to do the gospel. It's one thing to hear the gospel. It's another thing to do the gospel. That's why I believe Luke began the book of Acts by saying, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we have mentioned many times over the last three months the passage in the book of Matthew where John the Baptist was in prison. And he, even though he had already declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God, there must have been that moment of doubt, that moment of uncertainty. And he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, John wants to know, are you really who we think you are? Or should we look for another person to come? And do you remember how Jesus responded? It's almost like he didn't answer that question specifically. He just said, go back and tell John that the blind receive their sight, that the crippled walk, that the lepers are cured, that the dead are raised, that the deaf ears are unstopped. What Jesus said was, Go back and tell John not what you've heard, but what you have seen. Not what you've heard, but what you have seen. I'm confident that when you leave church this morning, you pro I hope at least, that you could go home and tell somebody what you heard. I am more interested in you going home and telling somebody what you saw. The demonstration of the gospel in reality. It, it draws people. 
It's like a magnet. The Holy Spirit, where, when he touches and transforms and changes circumstances and changes the atmosphere of a place, it draws people like iron filings are drawn to a magnet or like bees that are drawn to honey, like ducks to water. So today, as this last Sunday that I'm going to be serving as your interim or transitional pastor, I wanted to let the Holy Spirit do something in the church service. Um, and so there's three things I'm going to ask you, or at least two things I'm going to ask you to do at the end of the service, and that's why we've switched the service so we could have the, the worship and the music at the end. First of all, words from the Lord to our new pastors, Dustin and Stephanie. We're going to give a quiet time in the sanctuary, and there's paper and pencil under your chair. You can start meditating now about it. You can start letting the Holy Spirit you know, just begin to ponder, what might the Lord want to say to this young couple that is leaving everything familiar to them and moving to a new place to meet new people and to fulfill the destiny and the call of God on their life because they, they heard a word from God? What might the Lord want to say to them? And we're going to just ask you to listen to the Lord for a while and then write down a message to Dustin and Stephanie that we will get to them. And then after we do that, we're going to ask you to think about this new season in the life of Celebration Center. What might the Lord want to do with the leadership of the church in terms of casting vision and the future of Celebration Center in the community? And so we're going to actually deposit these words by faith, like planting seed in the ground, into the lives of Dustin and Stephanie and into the future of the church. So we'll look forward to doing that. Before we do it, I would like you to share with me uh, out of Acts chapter 11, verse 1 to 18. Acts chapter 11, verse 1 to 18. This has been a passage of Scripture that has been with me for a lifetime. While the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostle, many have said in the church that it should have been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Chapters 10 and chapter 11 of the book of Acts are actually the same story. That's sort of a rare thing. You don't see that in Scripture very often. You could read Acts chapter 10, and then you could read Acts chapter 11, and you'd hear the same story back to back twice. I think that's because the Lord wanted to emphasize what's going on here. This is the story of... Uh, Peter, who's called upon by God to step way out of his comfort zone, he's asked to do something that violates his Jewish training, to do something that will most certainly incur criticism and opposition and even condemnation. It's a huge ask on the part of God. Peter is asked to take the message of the gospel of the kingdom to the Gentiles, and the gospel has not gone to the Gentiles yet. Up to this time, they had not received that word. Now, as you work through the text, I'm going to just read it directly out of here, and I'm assuming we're both in NIV, so here we go. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven. And it's four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. 
That's part of his Jewish training. His Hebrew training was not to eat these unclean. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three more times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. And as he had come on us at the beginning, then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. As you work through the text, the first thing you see is that there's opposition. And I will tell you that when you do what the Lord wants you to do, sometimes there's not only criticism, but there's opposition and even persecution. It's, it happens. I remember when this happened earlier in the book of Acts in chapter 5 when it came against Peter and the apostles. And they just said, well, we ought to obey God rather than men. If that hasn't happened to you, that will happen to you someday. And you'll have to decide whether to obey God or men. It's not an easy situation to be put in. And then you get down to verse 3, and it says, They said to him, said, Well, you went, in, you went into the house and you ate with them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Saying to the brothers, You went into the house and you ate with them. Remember, I'm not going to go to it. It was a, a passage that I gave Don, but I'm going to skip over it. But there was a passage. You remember when Levi was called, he put together a big feast, and Jesus and his disciples went in, and then he was accused of eating with sinners. Going into the house, the exact same thing that's happening right here. You're associating with sinners. When I became a new Christian back in Wichita, Kansas, a lady that became a mentor of mine who was one of the best Bible teachers I have ever known, gifted playing an accordion, a musician, played the piano so well. And as a young woman, the Holy Spirit told her to go into a saloon, into a bar, and to play gospel songs and to see if anybody could be led to Christ. And she did that, and the first time she did it, there were some righteous, pharisaical-type saints outside. They saw her go into the bar and immediately started criticizing her, accusing her for going into the bar. They didn't know that she had a word from the Lord to go into there and to sing gospel music and try to lead these people to the Lord. So we ought to obey God rather than men. You are going to be criticized. You don't, it doesn't matter if you eat with sinners. That's what you ought to be doing. You ought to have lots of names of people that are unbelievers that are friends of yours. Um, to be, to be uh, set apart, to be isolated, to be uh, unconnected with unbelievers is about the worst thing that can happen. I looked at my son over here who works at World Vision, and he said to me one time, and I experienced it for so many years too, when you work in a Christian environment where you're around Christians all the time in a Christian organization, it makes it hard to find contacts outside of the church. You want to have contacts outside of the church. Now, we read here that Peter was in the city of Joppa praying and that men were sent from Caesarea. So I'm going to ask Don to just bring up a map real quickly if he could do that. Of uh, I'm going to walk over here. Will I mess up the camera if I come over here? 
Israel is real easy to understand because it's right on the bank of the great Mediterranean Sea where it says the Great Sea. That whole big area, uh, Europe is to the west and the north and Asia Minor is up to the west and the north. But you can see Caesarea in bold dark there and you see Joppa right here. That's only about um, 35 to 40 miles. To walk it would take about a day and a half, something like that. Peter was in Joppa praying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Caesarea is where the Roman Gentile was. And uh, he is there hearing in this vision, this angel of God, and being told to go send for a man named Simon, which he did. So he had a word of knowledge. He was, he's in prayer, and an angel speaks to him and gives him this word and says, go to the house of Simon, the, send some people to the house of Simon the Tanner, and tell Peter he's supposed to come talk to us. While Peter's down there praying, he has this, van, this vision, and he sees all these beasts and four-footed creeping things and reptiles that he's not supposed to eat or have anything to do with, and the vision lets down out of the sky, and the Lord says, Peter, rise up and eat. So what I would like you to do with me very quickly, and I'm going to, uh, I, I, I'll do it, you know, I'll do a, uh, no. I'm going to skip. I have about 10 or 12 pictures. My wife and I had the privilege of going to Israel. I was going to show you Joppa, show you Caesarea. It's really an amazing thing to be there in person and see what happens. But I'm, I'm short on time, so I'm going to keep moving, okay? So here we go. Verse 5a, I was in the city of Joppa praying. I'm about to give you six steps of how to hear a word from the Lord. I have used this paradigm. I have used this template my entire lifetime in ministry. This has been a guiding light to me. I was a young man at Bible college. I don't even know the name of the minister that came to the school, and he preached from Acts 11. And he walked us through this paradigm. I've switched it just slightly over the years. But you know there, there are times in your life when you have to know you're hearing from God. Uh, as you become a mature son and daughter in the Christ, oftentimes like a parent, with an older child, they just let you decide on your own. Many times God has said, I, you know, I prayed and asked the Lord about something. He says, you decide, Jeff. I trust you. You're my son. You have liberty. You have freedom. Just obey the Lord and go. But there are times when the decisions are so critical. And this ask, this, this desire of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, for Peter to take the gospel to the Gentiles was like Gideon being asked with 300 men to go fight Tens of thousands of Amalekites. You know, you want to get it right. You don't want to miss God when it's something big like this. Peter's going to be accused by all of his friends and all of his acquaintances. And he had to have it right. And this is what he did. It begins with prayer. Beloved, it all begins with prayer. The church was birthed in prayer. Jesus said, and I quoting Isaiah the prophet, chapter 56, he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. Jesus modeled prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Luke 11 says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Uh, the scriptures are replete with admonitions. Now, you are busy. I am busy. It's hard to find a quiet time to pray. Moms with children and laundry and housekeeping and parents and travel. and I mean, it's busy. Our society is busy. I want to just ask something of you. Five minutes. Not an hour, not a half hour, not 20 minutes, not 15 minutes. I'm asking everybody within the sound of my voice to pick five minutes a day, the same time every day, 
the same five minutes every day and just quiet yourself before the Lord and pray. Listen to God, meditate, love him, romance him, dance with him. But just spend five minutes in prayer. It all begins with prayer. You, you have to have a lifestyle of prayer. And that includes prayer, praise, and worship as all. And then it says in verse 5b, the next thing it says, I saw a vision. Now, you might not see a vision. You might have a scripture. You might see something in nature. You might have an impression or a dream. It might be somebody operating in a gift of the Spirit. You may hear something during a sermon or some. You may watch a faith-based movie. I, I don't know, but... But some word will come to you from God. If you're in prayer and you're asking the Lord about a word, some word will come to you from God. And that's number two. The Holy Spirit gives a word. And then it says in verse 10b, it says, this happened three times. This happened three times. The repetition of confirmation. The repetition of confirmation. Look at Acts 16, 6 through 10. Acts 16, 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, do you notice that's the second thing they've tried to do? That the Holy Spirit refused to let them go one place. Now he's just refused to let them go to the second place. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So what you have is Paul trying to get it right. And twice, two different times, the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go there. Then the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go there. And then finally, he got a vision or a word. The same, Matthew 18, verse 16, a passage you're familiar with, that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Let every matter be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the third step is the repetition of confirmation. Now, verse 11, it says, three men stopped at the house. Three men stopped at the house. The fourth step is be alert to your surrounding circumstances. Circumstances should not be the leading word. They are by definition circumstantial and possibly only a coincidence. But I also want to say to you that circumstances can be providential and can be confirmational. Did you follow that? If you're in unusual circumstances, don't just jump at it and say, oh, that's a word. If you haven't been in prayer about it, if you haven't had a word from the Lord about it, if it hasn't been confirmed two or three times. But watch your circumstances around you because God will follow the word or the vision or the dream. He'll follow that with circumstances that begin to speak to you and let you know, hey, I'm on to something. I'm getting in alignment with God's plan for my life. Uh, I'm starting to get an answer to this question that, that's haunting me. Now, verse 12 then, um, it's just, I loved it in the old King James, King James Version. It said, the Spirit bade me go, nothing doubting. The Spirit made me go nothing doubting. Here it says, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. So, Katie, I think it was last week when we were talking about, and I let everybody here share, you know, how does God speak to us? And Katie said, peace. I remember she said, peace. That's what this is about. There will be a point in time as you're seeking God to know His direction and His plan about this issue you're praying about. There will be a point in time 
when you've heard this word, you've had confirmation, circumstances are starting to align, and all of a sudden, the Spirit will say, go, no hesitation. You'll have perfect peace in your heart. And it's done. Now, at that point, it doesn't matter if it's out of your comfort zone. It doesn't matter if it's bigger than you. It doesn't matter if it requires you to step out of the boat and walk on the water. What matters is this next thing, verse 15a. As I began to speak. So see, Peter went with Cornelius' men. He went to Caesarea, and he says, as I began to speak, fruit. If you've been listening to God through all of these steps, waiting on him, asking him to lead, guide you, and align you with his purpose and his presence, when you obey, see, faith requires obedience. It's, it's both the book, the book of Romans begins in the first chapter and the last chapter taught, using this phrase, the obedience of faith, the obedience of faith. Faith makes you certain of what you haven't seen. Faith is being sure of what's invisible. Faith is a paradox. You don't understand it. I'm not talking about saving faith. I'm not talking about getting saved, not saving faith. I'm talking about the gift of faith. When God gives you faith to see something that is as though it, I mean, it's, it's there even though it's not there. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> that's another passage. It says, but without, no, 11.6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please God. But, but verse 1 says, now the substance of things hoped for, it's faith in the NIV. It says, being certain of what is unseen. How can you be certain of what is unseen? It's because you are so sure that that word, that vision, that dream was from God. And you are so sure that it's been confirmed more than once and circumstances have aligned with it, and you have perfect peace in your heart, that when you obey in faith, you will have fruit. God will do what he said he was going to do. And it happens every time. It happens every time. This is, what, this is what we seek for. And as we begin today, we're going to go into worship here in just a few minutes, and um, you have paper and pencil and music. And after worship's done, I'm going to ask my son Andrew to just come up here and lead us in this time of, of giving words. I, I, I'm asking you to ponder, to meditate, to pray. Lord, what would you say to Pastor Dustin and Stephanie at this season in their life? And Lord, what, what is it about our church? What's the destiny? What's the legacy and the heritage and the history? Why are we on this plot of ground? What about our neighborhood and the families that, that come? You know, what is it, Lord, that you want to say... Let's deposit that word into the leadership of the church, not only the pastors, but the board. And let's see where God takes us as we move into the new year. Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year. Let's worship the Lord now, shall we? And uh, Father, in Jesus' name, as we begin our worship and as we begin to uh, wait on you for something special from heaven, for Dustin and Stephanie and for our church, that Lord... Teach us how to hear your voice. Teach us how to hear your voice, how to listen, and then how to obey. Show us how to host your presence, Lord, so that the gospel of the kingdom 
will take place in and around us. Change the atmosphere where we are. Change the people with whom we come into contact. Lift the burden and the broken of the broken, the bruised, and the battered, the needy, the lost, the hungry, the homeless. Let our church, let our religion not be ingrown and enculturated, but give us a vision to see outward where the harvest is. For the fields are ripened to harvest, Lord, but the laborers are few. We want to be those laborers, Lord. We want to be the ones that lift them, that touch them, that love them. Let an ocean of love, a tsunami of love fill this place as the Spirit sweeps in tidal wave through here. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you, Lord. We worship you.